I always, I always cry when I watch that video, but isn't that true? Moms are awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, honestly, we're, we're from so many different backgrounds and so many different places in life. Maybe you didn't even experience something like that. And so this sermon is uh, part two of that. This is our gift to you as well, uh, because we want everyone to feel loved and everyone to feel blessed, even if, uh, even if that's not your life. Um, I need to call my mom after that. I mean, I, I'm almost ready to leave and go call my mom right now. That was so cool. Um, anyway, we want to we tell you thank you. And uh, I think the biggest way I can do that is through uh, a sermon. So let's grab the Bible and let's turn to uh, Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. And we'll spend a few minutes hopefully making your day. Uh, not only as a mom, but as a lady, and then really just for all of us, this will be so good for us uh, to bless us. Isaiah 49, and I want to I do a quick plug. Uh, next week, we'll start a new series here at Bethel, and it will be a, a church transformative series, and uh, it will establish uh, DNA here at Bethel, and it's going to be on the Word of God. Uh, probably about a four or five week series on the Word of God. You will not want to miss this. You will want to bring a friend. If you know someone who's struggling, bring them to this series and we'll show them the power and the joy of the Word of God. Isaiah 49, do you got it? Uh, Happy Mother's Day. I struggle with this because I'm surrounded by amazing ladies. And so I'm asking myself, what can I give to say how thankful I am to really women in general? Just, just uh, my daughters and, and my wife and my mom and, and staff here and just amazing people in my life. What do you give? What do you give uh, to a lady on Mother's Day? I, I went down to the shopping center by our house and I'm in World Market and then I'm in like, I don't, I don't even know what these stores are. I went in the shoe store and I'm just like, man, this just, what do you get a lady that you, you're so thankful for? And so finally I broke down, and if you guys are like me, I mean, I'm just not real good at this stuff, so I finally broke down, and I, 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 I pulled my wife aside, and I said, look, honey, what do you want for Mother's Day? And see, ladies, I know what you're saying, we like the surprise, but guys don't work that way. We're not very good at this, so it's just really helpful if you would just tell us what you want. Guys, are you with me? Yeah, don't leave me, do, do not leave me today. And so I pull my wife aside and I say, you know, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she goes like this, nothing. Now guys, really ladies, you got to know this about guys. I'm like, cool. That's fantastic. My wife is a content Christian woman and I'm good. Or she'll say this, you know, I just want to kiss. And I'm like, let's go. And I kiss her and I'm like, bam, I'm done. Mother's Day is done. And of course, you know, 48 hours later, you're like, what's going on? Like, I'm getting this weird feeling off my wife. So ladies, you got to help us with this, okay? We're, we're very kind of single-minded uh, people as men. Uh, we take this very literally. But let me ask you a question. Um, if you're a lady in this room, what do you really need? What do you really need? Talk to me. What do you really need? What Time? Time? I can't give time. What else? What else would you like to have on Mother's Day? What is it? Spa treatments? Are you serious? 
Man, I shouldn't have opened this can of worms. Guys, I'm sabotaging us right now. What else would you want? This is your shot, ladies. Sleep? Oh, okay, now we got something going on back here. More of God after the spawn to sleep. Okay, all right. All right, all right. Well, well look, guys, I, I think the greatest thing that we all need is to know that we're loved. I would say that would be the greatest Mother's Day gift and really the greatest gift whoever you're at, uh, as you have attended this, this church this morning. We need to know that we're loved. How powerful is the feeling of being loved? I mean, you may, you may think about even being raised by a good mom uh, or not having that experience or maybe finding that experience somewhere else or even just having that hunger. There is something so satisfying and so powerful about being loved. Uh, Timothy Keller I quote him, says this in one of his books. He says, to be loved, now watch this, to be loved but not known. In other words, to be loved but someone really doesn't know your deepest, deepest you. is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known, to have someone truly know you, your struggles, your past, your skeletons, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. I'm terrified of someone knowing about what's really going on in my heart because of the fear of them rejecting me with love. Keller goes on to say, but to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. For someone to know everything about me and yet love me the same. He says, when over the years someone has seen you at your worst, yet commits himself or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. You may be intertwined in the the most wonderful person's life, and you may have a shadow of that, but the problem with human beings is we struggle giving that type of love off. And while we're all growing together and we're hoping for that, I, I want you to know that there is only one source where you can truly be known through and through the very corners and crevices of your heart and still be loved the same, and that's by God. So I say the greatest gift on Mother's Day to you, if you're a mother or you're a woman or you're a, a man even, it doesn't matter who you are, is to know the love of God. Really, this is something that can only be known by and from God. God only knows us through and through. And only God, after he knows us through and through, can love us and value us forever. Only God can do that through perfect love. And guys, the the older I get, in in my mid-20s, life isn't easy all the time. In my late 30s, can you believe that? I'm getting old. But the longer I'm a Christian and the longer I'm alive, the more I'm finding that I'm growing from experiencing and bathing in the love of God. Um, This is the catalyst. This is the driving force to my life. This is healing all of the wounds and, and all of the weird, ugly spots of my past, all of my insecurities. The more I not only know but experience the amazing love of God, the more I am being healed and being changed in this life. 
And that is why I say this is what we need to experience. But if I'm, if I'm honest this morning, this is so hard to embrace, isn't it? I believe one of the hardest things to accept is God's love. Uh, maybe because there's nothing on this earth quite like it. Um, I have no human relationship to where I can mess up and mess up and mess up and mess up and be perfectly forgiven and not one iota of love has been altered. So when I hear that God treats me that way, it's such a foreign love. If God knows all about me, the big question that I wrestle with daily is how can he still love me the same? So here's what I want to do. I want to untie that lie. I want us to see the true God. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 49. And we're going to see ourselves in this story. And the story is built around Israel sinning against God and struggling to accept God's faithfulness and his love. And Israel hears the message of God to rebuild them and stabilize them in the love of God so they can go on. So I'm going to give you two thoughts this morning on the love of God. And through this story in Isaiah 9, we're going to see, one, the struggle with God's love. We all struggle embracing God's love. And then two, I want us to see God's response when we struggle with his love. It's powerful. So let's look at number one. I want us to see our struggle with God's love and what it's doing to shape us and really the danger of it. So what's the context of Isaiah 49? What's going on? Let's jump right into the middle of this massive book of Isaiah. What is the context of Isaiah 49? Israel or the Jewish people have been struggling. Uh, to say the least. They are God's covenant people. God has chosen them to be his people. But Israel has sinned against God. They have pushed away um, from God. They have actually built false gods and they have looked into other cultures and adopted their awful practices. They're doing awful things to each other. And so God has to teach them. God has to steer them and get them away from that. And the way that God does that is by sending other countries in to, uh, to bring them into bondage and attack their cities. You guys with me on that? You got that? That's mostly what your Old Testament is about. And yet every time God does this, every time God sends a, a Gentile nation, a non-Jewish country in to sack Jerusalem and put the Jewish people in slavery, he says, look, I'm doing this so you'll turn back to me, but I want you to know that while it hurts now, I will be faithful forever to you. You're my people. So Israel is God's chosen people, but they've damaged their covenant relationship with God. Ever been there? If you're here and you're saved, if you're here and you're a Christian, we have all heard about the grace of God but sinned against the grace of God and really questioned, you know, what is my standing with God? Let me just tamper with your minds a little bit. You ready? Here on Mother's Day. And then we get the first John 1-9 treatment. And then we're terrified. I'm going to teach you what first John 1-9 really means in a couple weeks. We've got that thing all twisted up. We sin against God. We know about his grace. We think, okay, we hear that he loves us. We hear that we're his children. But now that I've done this, where are we now? I mean, is this thing broken? Is this repairable? I, I personally have a 48-hour buffer between me and God when I sin against him. 
which is kind of silly because um, by sin nature, we're always falling short of his bar. But, but I think, you know, maybe God needs 48 hours to cool off, and maybe he'll love me in a, in a couple days, and, and I'll, I'll start praying in a couple days. And this is all wrong, and this is what Israel did. So God, in his amazing faithfulness, tells the Jewish people that he is faithful, and that his love will one day make all of their troubles all of their sad situations, all of their sins untrue. He will, he will untie the knot of the com- complexity of life. He will take away their sin, and he'll one day set them up on the earth, yet without sin, and they will, be, they will be his people, and he will be in their midst, and they will be singing and playing forever on a new earth with no enemies and no temptation and no sin nature. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever thought about this? What would it be like to not sin for one minute? No doubt, no fear, no anger, no frustration. Imagine being, imagine living life without being insecure for 60 seconds. To be fully you and be fully present. Imagine being perfectly intertwined with animal life and human beings. Um, They know that there are dozens of dimensions and and senses that we have lost they know that sound gives off color and one day the scripture says that the earth is going to be made whole and those abilities are going to be given back to us and can you imagine walking in the woods with friends and being perfectly knit together in your hearts and and maybe we're on our way to a city a city where there's perfect governments and parties going on and friendship and celebration and God is in our midst and he's dwelling on the earth and imagine a flock of birds flying overhead and every flap of wing, every noise that comes off of their wings, a rainbow of color explodes from them. This is what God tells Israel. I know it's bad now. I know you've sinned against me. I know I'm putting you through tough times. But one day I'm going to give that back. Isaiah 49 verse 12. Behold, these shall come from afar. I'll gather all of you Jews. I will gather all of my children from all over the earth. And behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sain, sing for joy. O heavens and exult, O earth, this day's coming when it will be a huge party on this earth, and God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. Creation is so intertwined and so pushing towards God that we can feel the thing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So here they are, these Jewish people. They're broken and God says, look, I'll be faithful. I'll make this thing right one day. You'll dwell on the earth one day and everything will be right. You ever hear those sermons on heaven? And it's like one day you won't have to struggle with this anymore. But you know what I always wrestle with with those sermons? What about now? I mean, is, are we just in this, this, this waiting thing until God gets us out of here? Can we hope now? And when you look at Israel's response, they're struggling with this very thing. 
They're saying, okay, the new earth, that's beautiful. Okay, one day this thing's going to be right. But what about now, God? What about now? We need you now. We need to know you love us now. Isaiah 49, verse 14. Look at at Israel's response back to God. But Zion, that's the small hill that the temple was built on. It's basically a word for the Jews. But the Jews said back to God, as he said, one day this whole thing will be right. They say back to him, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. In other words, God, it's not enough to know it's going to be right one day. What about now? God, you say you love us. But look at our condition now. We don't feel your love. Do you love us now in all of our chaos and all of our sin? Now this would be a good place for me to pause and speak to you about our contemporary culture. As a mom or a woman, especially a young woman, but as a person... Maybe this is your struggle. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You're like, the whole reason I'm not a Christian is because I don't get, I don't get God. I don't understand this idea that I'm so bad and he's this perfect and holy God. He, he can't want me. But wherever you're at in life, I want you to understand that we are wired to feel loved by God. It is why we are made by God. God wants us to know his love and be shaped by that love and feel secure in that love. And when you understand that God loves you endlessly and that love will never change, what that does is it creates worth, it creates value. You feel like you have an identity. You feel like you do not have to perform for God to earn his love because he has given you freely his love. You can freely serve him and walk after him. It's a freeing thing when you know that no matter how bad I struggle today, I am loved and I have an identity in God. And when we don't experience or believe that God loves us, here's the problem, guys. Here's what we all fall into. We're going to try and find a love experience somewhere else. We're made for love. And if we're not experiencing it here by God, we're going to go try to find that love and acceptance and value somewhere else because we're made for it. Now, especially in San Francisco. By the way, I love this city in the weirdest way. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's in my blood already. But as, and I was hanging out with about uh, 10 or 15 of our friends from Sacramento yesterday, and we're walking down the streets, and I'm just like, man, I love this city. And you know, they're like this, like, what is going on around here? I'm like, this is San Francisco. This is fantastic. But what's so amazing about San Francisco is its cultural narratives that are everywhere. Everywhere we turn around, whether it's technology, which is not wrong, whether it's uh, entertainment or television or Yahoo News or any type of website or getting on the bar or driving into the city and seeing all the billboards, the problem with all of this is there are cultural narratives telling us where we can find acceptance, value, love, and identity. But they don't work because we're not made for those things. 
So when we don't experience God's love, we try and find a love experience that the culture offers us. And these cultural, cultural narratives are just everywhere. And they tell us that we can be loved by using things that weren't meant to be used that way. What do I mean? Well, let's start right here in the church. I bet there are tons of people in this church, and it's okay, we're here to learn and grow together, but I bet there are tons of people in this church who struggle with the love of God, and so to supplement that, they do ministry like crazy. Because they think through doing this work and people seeing me do all of this frenzy stuff, I'll be accepted. I'll be loved. I will have someone say they're valuable. Uh, by the way, I was one of them. Now I don't do anything around here. Um, looks, the outward appearance, nothing wrong with looking nice. And you notice I'm wearing a different sweater this Sunday. <laughs> I'm learning. But you think of looks. And, of course, with women, this is such a, a heavier um, temptation. When you don't know that, lo- that God loves you and you're secure in that love and you can just rest in that, that I don't have to work for God's love. I'm his child. That's my identity. I'm good. When you don't understand that, it's so easy to say, maybe I'll be acceptable. Maybe I'll be loved if I, if I look a certain way and I can gain the attention of other people. Career. You ever notice how we introduce ourselves? Hey, I'm John. Hey, I'm Jim. Jim, what do you do? It's always the question. What do you do for a living? Eh, Not wrong, but what are we saying? What's your identity? What's your value? Oh, well, you know, I work for the state. I'm a pastor. You know, Jim, you know, he's kind of going, hmm. That's the problem with this thing. We look to career. We, we overwork. We can become workaholics because through the work, people are going, wow, hmm, look, look, look. Name dropping, you know, overworking, even relationships. Uh, certainly nothing wrong with work and nothing wrong with relationships, nothing wrong with school. But when these things are being used by us to feel love, to replace a love we don't understand from God, they're going to wreck us. These aren't just things we do, but things that do something to us. They're shaping us. And we think we can earn love through these things. Now, back to Israel. And I think it'd be great to be freed from this, wouldn't it? Back to Israel. Follow me here. Now, when you look at Isaiah 49, God just spent 13 verses telling the Jews of his faithful love, and yet when you read verse 14, they completely doubted it. That's important to understand. I mean, he lays out doctrine. He, I mean, this is God speaking to them, reminding them of covenant promises. And really, Isaiah 49, the first 13 verses, are about Jesus. Jesus is coming. He's going to do this work on the cross so you can be brought back and forever loved by me. So this eloquent, you know, amazing speech, this sermon by God for 13 verses, and they crash in in verse 14, and they say, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. You know what this tells me? We can look at our own sin, and we can know in our heads that God loves us intellectually. We can hear it in sermons. 
We can read our Bibles and, and see a Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if we don't believe it in our hearts, if it doesn't make the 18-inch journey from the head to the heart, we are going to find love, false loves, in those cultural narratives out there, and they're going to break for us. They're just going to break. And if you don't make the connection between having an intellectual understanding of God's love and, and allowing that to open the heart and having a heart understanding that I experience the love of God, we're going to look for other sources to find love and acceptance. And ladies, 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 because um, uh, my wife and my daughter are the ones living in my home, this, this is just what I wage war on. I tell them and tell them and tell them about the love of God so they're not tempted to try to find this love in things that are not meant or designed to produce that love out there in that world. So there Israel is in their sin, their brokenness. God gives them a head knowledge. He speaks to their minds and he says, look, I love you. I'll be faithful. And they say, we don't get it. Verse 14, we can't accept it. We're struggling with this love thing. And I just love God because, number two, I want you to see God's response. He's amazing. I once said this in a sermon. Then after church, I went, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I was preaching in a church, and I said, God's love is violence. And then I was like, hmm, is that, is that biblically correct? <laughs> Uh-oh, edit that out of the sermon. But then the next Sunday, I came back, and I said, I'm going to talk about what I said there. Not violent in a weird way. Relentless to the point that anything that is between you and God's love, he is going to remove and get you back to his heart. So look at God's response. How does God deal with these struggling people who are struggling with, with love and identity and value? And I really do believe that the hardest, the hardest person to work through this is, is a lady, in particular a mom. So how does God deal with these broken people who are struggling with his love? Isn't it precious that first and foremost, God, guys, God listens to Israel being real. I mean, he doesn't rebuke them for, for verse 14 when they say, yeah, but do you really love us, God? He doesn't say what and rebuke them. He hears them. Do you know, do you know God wants you to be real when you're struggling this way? God wants you to talk to him about this. Now, here's the key. And then God goes right to their thought life. Because thought is the door to the heart. He says, I'm going to keep plugging your brains about my love so my Holy Spirit awakens the affections of your heart. And it's not a head knowledge anymore. It's a heart knowledge. And once you experience a heart knowledge of the love of God, you will walk out into this world not running into the cultural traps of trying to be accepted out there anymore. You're going to be secure in God's love and you're going to be free out there to be who you are. Total amen moment. <laughs> We're working on it. So watch, what he, watch, watch God's response in Isaiah 49, 15. 
1 through 13, I love you, I will not forsake you, I'm sending Jesus for you. Verse 14, we don't believe it, we're struggling with this whole thing. Verse 15, let me work this out, God says. Let me give you an illustration. I want to work the picture, I want to get the illustration in your brain. I want you swimming with this thing in your mind until it opens the heart. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Here's what he says. He tells them to think. He tells them to visualize the relationship between a nursing mom and a child. Get that thing out there, Mother's Day. There's my plug, Mother's Day. Look at that thing right there. And even if you struggled with it, it's what you've seen and in certain instances, maybe in family or movies or whatever. Just get that picture in your mind. God says, look at the affection of a nursing child. Not a child, a nursing child. Because what's that relationship like? That is a bond. That is a care that is unbreakable. But, but later in 16, he says, at some point, that relationship even changes, doesn't it? Or at least it better At some point that child grows and that mother no longer has that type of relationship with that child. It's a beautiful relationship, but it's changed. There's a distancing. There's that natural kind of raising to let the kid go. And here's what God says. Our relationship never enters that. It's always this deep, tight, intimate, nursing mother type thing. There's never this kind of, I'm going to let you go now. Never. That's why he uses the illustration. Most mothers are deeply connected to the nursing babies. But again, at a certain point, that relationship begins to change. Some mothers are so broken that the child may not even experience this bond. That's the point. God says, no matter where you are at, I love you more than a nursing mother, and I will never alter that relationship. And if the reality of this kind of love were experienced moment by moment by moment by moment by God's children, my soul, how this would heal us. Uh, Let me just give you an illustration. Man, we're out of time. What is wrong with that clock? No illustration. But it's almost like Israel is, is so low. That they need God to prove it. All right, God, you've given me the the thoughts. You've given me the pictures. But maybe you could prove your love. You ever done that with the blessing thing? All right, God, if if you love me, if you truly love me, and I haven't messed this whole relationship up, I need to know if you'll just open this door for me. And so God plays the game. He does. You, You want me to prove the love? You want me to go further with this? I will. Isaiah 49, verse 16. If 15 wasn't enough, he says this. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now check it out. Slaves in that day and time would often have their master's name tattooed on their hands to show ownership and devotion. 
But this time, the master has put the servant's name on his hands to show faithful devotion. Oh, no, 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 that's not it. But it's not tattooed on his hands. It's engraved. Meaning that a hammer carved it into the palm with a spike. That's what that text is saying. You want me to prove my love? I have engraved it in my hands when I died on the cross. Many, many, many years later, a man would be struggling with this very thing. Just listen to me, and we'll shut this down. John 20, there were followers of Jesus, and as Jesus died on the cross, they thought they had failed him. And after he rose from the dead, he showed himself alive to many of the followers. And those many followers found the other followers, and they gathered them all in a house, and they said, the Lord is alive, and he loves us. He's going to forgive us. It's all good. We're good. He's, his love is forever faithful. And then there was a Thomas in the crowd. And Thomas struggled with it. Now, after all we did, God can't love us. Maybe we go back to fishing. Maybe we find our value and identity in something else. This Christian thing is not working. Yet in John 20, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. There is only peace between us. Then he said to Thomas, doubting Thomas, who struggled with God's love so much, he said, put your fingers here. Isaiah 49, 16. And see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve my love any longer. Look at what I did for you. Believe. If you ever question how valuable you are to God. And how loved you are by God. Just remember the palms of Jesus the cross. You are loved forever, and you need not look anywhere else to find your love and value. It's the best I got, ladies. Own this, dwell on this, meditate on this, and know that this is the only acceptance you'll ever need is the love of God. Let's pray together. And I just want to ask you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you, maybe you just came with some family. This is real. Have you ever experienced the love of a father this way? His arms are outstretched. He wants to take you in. He wants to cover everything, your past, your future. He wants to cover all the mistakes. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. To pay the penalty for your sins, for my sins. 
so they would be wiped away and you could know a relationship with a perfect father full of love and mercy. And if you don't know that this morning, if you've never experienced this life-transforming joy of salvation, the Bible says that while we are all sinners, Christ died for us. And if we would turn from our old ways and turn to God and seek his forgiveness, he'll, he will pardon us, he will forgive us, he will cleanse it all, and he'll love you forever. He'll heal the heart. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know this amazing experience, I pray where you sit. If you've never prayed a prayer in your life, it's okay. The best way you know how, in the quietness of your own heart right now, you turn from the old life and you turn to Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to save you. If you're here and you're one of his children, if you're a precious woman of God, I want you to think of the cross right now. I want you to see yourself at the foot of the cross as he's there. He's doing it for you. He's doing it so you never have to earn his love again. Ask God to help you accept it, embrace it. So the appeal of finding your identity out there in this world would, would fade away and you'd be free. Let's make this a special Mother's Day for all of us. Let's let the Lord empower us through his love. Take a few minutes to pray this out this morning.